Hey, No Gods, No Monsters listeners. Just wanted to give a content warning for the episode. Um, There's a few things mentioned that might be triggering to some folks, including mentions of violence and specifically sexual violence. It's not a lot, but it is in there. All right, I hope you enjoy the show. Problem solving always puts me in a musical mood. What do you think the plot to Cannibal Airlines is? I, I imagined it was something like snakes on a plane, but like someone accidentally packed a bunch of cannibals and now they're <laughs> they're loose. Uh, I just imagine it was like a, an Italian cannibal movie and the majority of the plot doesn't even take place on a plane. Maybe a plane, <laughs> maybe a plane like crashes into a jungle and then like maybe they, they kind of the survivors camp out around the plane, but you know, in true Italian fashion, the title does not necessarily <laughs> represent the contents of the film. I, I think your your head is in the right place, but I cannot see John Goodman's character having an Italian piece of Italian schlock in that <laughs> in that basement. Welcome to No Gods, No Monsters. This is the anti-capitalist kaiju and monster movie podcast in a world where no one's coming to save us. I'm Rabbit. I'm Grogu. And I'm Bardo. And today we're talking about 2016's 10 Cloverfield Lane. So uh, last time we covered Cloverfield, and this time we're covering 10 Cloverfield Lane. And guess what? Next time we're covering the Cloverfield Paradox. So get ready. Rewatch the the movie. And then after that, we're doing Bardo's pick of a random movie. So uh, he picked 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And then after that, we're going to jump back in to finish the Showa era of Godzilla with Terror of Mechagodzilla. This is a pretty good lineup, folks. I'm stoked. Yeah, all good. All good thing. Well, I, I've not seen Cloverfield Paradox. That might be really, really bad. I'm, I'm not sure. Who? It's a mystery. Who knows if it's really, really bad or I, I've not? I've never talked you know? to anyone who's seen it before. So I'm... You're talking to me right now. Oh, you've seen it. Okay. Would you give it an Emmy? I gave it an Emmy, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's weird because it... Emmys for TV. So, would you call that a paradox? Oh, <laughs> I, I don't think so. <laughs> Charlie, <laughs> do you want to tell us what uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane's about? After gaining an argument with her boyfriend, Michelle decides to dish her relationship and bones the fuck out. On her way out of there, she gets into a horrible accident and knocked the fuck out. Awakening, she finds herself chained to the wall in John, Goodman, John Goodman's shelter that she has built with the help of local former track star, Emmett. Being in shock, Michelle doesn't even think to ask for the autographs of either acting legend John Goodman or local track goat, Emmett. But instead, she's afraid, distrustful, and just a plain old rude Jane. John Goodman calmly explains that there has been some kind of attack and that they are stuck together in his bunker for one to two years while the air above is too contaminated to navigate, but Michelle ain't buying it. Until, that is, she sees a woman with her face melting off, calling her a bitch. I guess when society collapses, everyone feels like they just have a free pass to be rude. 
Secretly, though, John Goodman is a kaiju who has killed a young lady before and is trying to use Michelle to live out his fantasy of a father and daughter relationship. To further this goal, he melts former track star Emmett. <laughs> Due to all this, Michelle makes the calculated decision to melt his face off and escape, but she only escapes into the arms of aliens. The end. It's not Cloverfield 2, it's 10 Cloverfield Lane, baby. General thoughts and feelings. Who wants to start? Well, first of all, I just want to throw out, uh, I watched the commentary for this between the director and producer J.J. Abrams. This is a, not a good commentary track. I do not recommend listening to it. Pretty boring. You just kind of talk about the sh- film shoot itself and not exactly an interesting film shoot. Uh, but I might sprinkle some details from that in there. And also, I got a little bit of a John Goodman bias. I am currently... My apartment is located in the same part of St. Louis where he grew up in. I live like a mile and a half from where he went to high school. Uh, so, you know, respect, local pride. I know you big city boys who are like, Tarantino used to camp inside of my ass. Because <laughs> I am on the streets of Hollywood. But for a small town boy like me, you know, <laughs> it's special. <laughs> Gnarly of you to call Bartow out like that. Uh, I also watched, I did what I did last time. I found like the DVD extras on YouTube and watched some behind the scenes stuff. There wasn't nearly as much as for the last movie, but did that. That's all I got. I didn't. I didn't do any homework on this except using using my imagination. This is the best homework of them all. Mm-hmm. Well, any Bartow, teacher will tell you that. I think you're the first one, or the only one of us who had never seen this before. So why don't you start telling us what you thought? I thought it fucking slapped. Like this, this, yeah, kind of. Uh, this movie was awesome. It was tense. It kind of whipped you around a little bit. I thought the message was very good. I don't know. It just went. I, I I was like, you know, I somehow went into this knowing almost nothing about it, which was great. And yeah, I very highly, if you're someone listening to this and you're just like, I just like listening to these boys talk. I don't like need to see the movie until after. I just go watch it. Sweet. So you liked it, Barto. I did. I fucking loved this movie. Hell yeah. Charlie, how about you? Yeah, this is my second time watching it. I watched it when it first came out on video, and I really liked it at the time. I did not have that good of a time with it this time. I don't know if it's because it doesn't stand up as much for repeated viewings, if uh, my taste has just changed since then, or maybe I was in the best, most receptive mood this week. I don't know. I just wasn't really gelling with it so much. Um, and I know the last time I th- said I preferred this to the first movie, but this time I was thinking, oh, I prefer the first movie to this one. But yeah, John Goodman, the, that that's pretty good. What'd you think? When we were going to do this series, I was like, oh, I like 10 Cloverfield Lane the best. And then I watched Cloverfield again and talked with y'all about it and got so much more into it than I ever had been before. And I was like, Okay, I think I like that one more. Holy shit. And then I went into this and I was like, okay, no, this one wins. Like, they're both fucking great. 
for different they're very different but this movie is awesome and for what it's trying to do like a pretty simple little movie to me it like pulls it off it the actors are all incredible especially john goodman he's so good just like the Mm -hmm. way he shows himself mentally processing and like where he chooses to look and where he chooses not to look Um, yeah his facial expressions throughout are so good yeah totally and all three actors i thought were fucking perfect and i don't know it was great like i i kind of didn't want to watch it again like a third time because I was like, oh, I just watched it. I know what happens. But I got way more out of it on another watch than I thought I would. Like, almost everything has a setup and a payoff. And yep. mm-hmm. it's great. There's a few things that take me out of it that I'll maybe bring up a few, like, this doesn't make sense to me or this kind of seemed out of nowhere or whatever. But in general, I fucking think it's great. Uh, yeah. I think the setting is a is a good place to get going with this louisiana uh and that is interesting that john goodman he's wearing a missouri shirt in this and he lives in louisiana and in real life he's from missouri and he lives in louisiana it's like he's Whoa. nodding to you personally charles yeah <laughs> that's totally. pretty cool and john goodman i'm nodding back <laughs> <laughs> uh Barta, did you have anything about the setting that especially you wanted to bring up i think everything about how this movie flows is really fascinating and a big way that they're doing that is through the setting itself they start her off when she's when she arrives in his bunker after the car accident and it's just this little room there's nothing on it it's just a mattress on the floor there's and it's fucking horrifying and it just slowly reveals itself more and more. And, you know, there's the next room where there's just another guy for some reason. And, <laughs> and you know, the next room is the revel- revelation that this is, this is like a bug out shelter because there's all this food and supplies and all that shit. And, you know, it's just giving, it's giving you these little things to like change your perception of what's going on. And then after the, the revelation that's the bug out room you it's the revelation that like oh wait it's like a happy home this is like there's napkins and antique table and movies and a jukebox and and teen magazines and teen magazines (laughs) how they spent so much time looking at teen magazines is beyond me but the house or the bunker sort of acts as this conduit for how we're supposed to feel about John Goodman's character, what's going on, you know, and even even, you know, the final kind of revelation that, you know, he had someone kidnapped in his house or in this bunker. He used this for evil, you know, and our feelings about John Goodman finally taking the like going from like well he's clearly like uh you know a controlling possibly abusive dude to like oh man this guy is a fucking monster is also facilitated by the bunker itself you know it it's an interest it's like a great use of like a limited set piece i mean the the thing could almost be a play but yeah like so much information is just given out 
in the setting. And I think that's so cool. Yeah, I really liked how you could kind of get the layout of it pretty quick. But then it was kind of hard to tell, like, where was private. Like, he would suddenly, like, be there when they're having a conversation. Or, like, but then they would be in a room quietly talking to try to, you know, scheme. But then you have a different uh, scene where Michelle's in her room and uh, Emmett is in, like, the pantry and they're talking through the walls. And it, like, adds this level of fear of, like, can he hear through the walls then? Is there, like, I don't know, they're... They use space really well like that. Like just having them talk through the walls for a second adds a layer. And they, they use space like that throughout. Mm-hmm. You could probably hear through the vent too. Yeah. True. I mean, there was, I thought they were acting like fucking maniacs whenever they talked above a whisper about yeah. anything. The the space itself um, in one of the behind the scenes things, they said that they were studying uh, like people's gnarly bunkers. Like most of them were tight like just tubes but there were some people who had really eccentric really homey places and that they got inspiration i i feel like the set is so fucking cool and i don't know it's great and i love like things like the lighting you know when they're having dinner it's a very different vibe in there than when they're playing a game in the afternoon even though there's no windows it's just like oh yeah he would totally have like weird mood lights like little lamps here and there at night and fluorescent during the day it's like i don't know it's just really well thought out howard is like very much a kind of guy i'm like fascinated by in general like i'm fascinated by because he's he's not quite like a like a patriot movement guy, you know, like a militia guy. He's not quite that, but he's like very, very, very close. He's a, you know, he is the guy preparing for, equally preparing for Russian attack, alien attack, or presumably FEMA coming to to swoop us up, but is also like, if I'm going to freak out for 15 years, I'm going to do it with my grandma's antique table and a bunch of board games and I'm going to have a comfortable time and not just like be sitting around in my, um, in my kit all day long watching the door or whatever. Yeah. I, one thing I love about this is you're getting to see the prepper at the time and the conspiracy theorists at the time, we never get to see them. Right. Which is when they like find out they were right. Like this is what he's been Mm -hmm. preparing for forever, which is interesting but adds it adds like security and fear right you're secure because he's been worrying about this forever but you're also like is it happening or did he really just want this to be happening and so something happened and he thinks now it's the end of times like he also really wants people to acknowledge that he was the one who's prepared for this and yes he's the one who helped these people because he was the one that was prepared and knew this was coming. And they all thought he was crazy, but yeah. He he feels like there should be like respect for him. Which, which yes. is every single like Facebook QAnon person, that's all they want. Mm-hmm. They want their relatives to one day have to be like, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're... The storm came. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, that it's is the whole like the sheepdog thing, right? Do you all know? 
No, but in like prepper culture, they call themselves sheepdogs, and you were all oh, the sheep. Yeah. They're mm. like, yes, they're like, we're gonna realize it that we all are actually relying on them, and then you're gonna see me for like the head of the pack, the wolf that I've always been. I just had a question. Uh, did we were there any American flags in the background and around the set at all? I don't think so. That is weird. Interesting. Yeah, because like, that is something I'd, I'd expect. They didn't lean hard into the fact that he was a conservative, no. right? Like, that was kind of cool. They didn't lean into, like, a specific... They did, like, hint at China stuff, mm -hmm. but I kind of like that it was more... I did, too. It was different than that. Yeah. I feel like that would have been too easy and lazy. Just yeah. Just have, like, snake flags and American flags all over, and yeah. But totally. He was very clearly, like... A classic, you know, no cursing at the table, maybe don't talk so much at the table, <sighs> Yeah, coasters, and... I think part of the don't talk so much at the table was that he really resented having Emmett there just from the beginning. No, that's, that's, totally. that's true. Yeah. But my grandpa was a guy who, you know, at, at the table, we could all talk until the moment that someone is starting to annoy him and he's like, why are we talking so much? We should be eating. You know, it's like very sure. much like a, a, a very particular mm -hmm. kind of like role you get to have as, as the man at the table in a conservative American. Yeah. It's a role places, I take at obviously. every table. That's good for you, brother. <laughs> yeah. He definitely has the patriarchy deeply ingrained in him, but he also has this, dream of having like a family again and this mm -hmm. is his chance for that but it's in like this like storybook old americana idea where he's the dad and the daughter's gonna respect him and people are gonna be nice at the table and thank him and acknowledge mm -hmm. him it's very like fatherly but not like the good part of fatherly like that you will look at me as a father <laughs> kind of thing yep. yeah 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 the scary part of fatherly mm -hmm. yes one thing I really love about this movie is there are these power dynamics happening and these like, I don't know how to put it, these like tensions and uh, like ways he's using his position that are so universal, like not that everybody has them, but we see them everywhere that this like it's the same power dynamics you see in, you know, family structures, in governments in businesses and so it becomes this thing where you can look at this movie through all those lenses and get different takes on it because it's so natural and like real and well made um i could see hopefully we'll go into them but i i think there's parts of this movie where it's accentuating the fact that this is him trying to have a family and that what that means for michelle i think there's allegories to like a government and how it treats its subjects and i think that there's a lot of other things you can read into it and it's they didn't have to try to do any of that they just made a very natural and kind of uh smart reading on how men in, with problems react in positions of power so it works for all of that i mean i didn't really think about this as i was watching it but it's like very much just like a good critique of hierarchy and how hierarchies function and and how they get so fucking twisted and dangerous for people totally totally agree with you that he could be he could be their boss he could be their dad 
He could be their dictator. He could be their boyfriend abuser. You know. Let's get back to Howard. I want to talk about Michelle for a little bit. Um, I think the main there's like a a, a very thought out arc for her that goes from the beginning to the very end that I think is like I don't know they kind of put it right in your face but it, I think we should talk about it it's kind of interesting um basically the you know running away and then deciding to fight right mm-hmm. so yeah I I guess I'd be interested in uh talking about the very beginning of the movie um I don't know there's a lot of things in this movie where they don't tell us what's happening and I think that that's really cool but it makes me wonder what's happening like what did Ben do? Why is she leaving in such a hurry? Why is she leaving so much of her stuff? What if this isn't her apartment because she left the key for him? Why is all of her art all over? Like, I, I'm trying to build the story. The engagement ring's gone. Like, I'm trying to build the story of what happened. And maybe we're not supposed to. Maybe it's just like a dude did something fucked up enough that she's running. And so that's all we need to know. But I was curious what y'all think. Well, they talk about in the commentary how originally the plan for the plot was she'd come out of the bunker and have a bunch of texts from him and she'd go save him. So I don't think it was originally supposed to be anything particularly fucked up in the relationship. I think it's more just they had a big fight. And as she says, she has a history of running from fights. Uh, And and she she was supposed to see his text, go back and save him. That's supposed to be be the the end of the story but then they decide like why should her story have to be dependent on another man it's on a man it should just Hell be yeah. your own story yeah. um i'm so glad they didn't use that ending that would have sucked yeah. ass i agree although i think this ending also is not good or i guess i mean i don't think the execution of this ending was particularly good but definitely better than uh if she went to save this dude um who by the way is bradley cooper um yeah, it is. Phone. Yeah, apparently they uh they didn't even write the lines. It was just improvised. Like J.J. Abrams and him had just like texted a few things to each other, and then he just called and like left that voicemail or something. No, that 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 makes a lot of sense. That you know it was a fight, so she was running away. It wasn't necessarily something mm-hmm. super fucked up. Um, Varta, what what were you gonna say? I I mean, I sort of went the other way with it in that. I sort of took it to mean that this was something that was a long time coming and like a thing that kind of broke the camel's back happened and she decided she needed to get out because this this character was living with this sort of dynamic for her whole life it sort of sounds like, or at least the every part of her life that we have any narrative access to. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is something that's going on. This sort of like control or abuse in some way is taking place. And in my head canon that I created for this, that could be totally off basis was that this weaving was a tail end of that. And sure. She left in the moment that she felt the bravery to leave that. And so she left the art behind. She left all that stuff behind. She just took off. I think both of those are totally valid readings. And I think that's one awesome thing that I, or thing I like about this movie is that it, to me, at least, the message works either way. 
Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter what the what the backstory is. Um, and I will say, when she's listening to his message in the car, and when he says running away isn't going to help anything, that's when she hangs up. She like can't handle to listen to him anymore. So it's clearly mm-hmm. something she like is sensitive about. One one little touch I thought was cool in the beginning is that there's no sound effects at all until she's out of the apartment. There's yeah. literally no foley, not a thing. It's just music until she's pumping gas by herself. Um, and I don't know if that was just to have a stylistic beginning or if it was like supposed to be something about her mental state, her detachment from the relationship. But I thought it was a nice touch. So it just agreed on that. I like that. I agree. So... <sighs> I mean, we all know, like, you know, what the the steps are, right? She's running away. She gets in this situation she uh, where she's locked in the basement with this fucking horrible dude, blah, blah, blah. And then she tr- decides to try to fight. And then it goes horribly. And Emma gets shot. And then she, like, decides she has to fight right then, right? Like, she looks at his ticket. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. they cut... Ca- it's almost overdone the theme, right? Like it's going with her the whole time. Then Emmett himself is literally a runner and he said he ran away from his problems and then he (laughs) dies. And so she has to, it's very, they're hitting you over the head with it a bit, but I still liked it. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, the, the thing about the ending to me that I thought was interesting is I didn't, I, I didn't even like contextualize it in, you know, she gets to basically uh, she's listening to the radio and she rolls up at the exact juncture between <laughs> the two directions. Yeah. She could go either to uh, go to safety or to go to the front lines. And I don't really think about I know what they're doing. You know, it's like she could either run, which I don't think, you know, again, in my headcanon with her ex running wasn't. A negative thing it wasn't a bad thing she was leaving sure. you know that's good that was him saying that she was running and he's probably a fucking asshole because lots of men are but what happened there was she um broke this sort of binary that exists particularly in narrative structures with people who are suffering abuse where either they could be like afraid all the time or really defensive cynical or yeah you know closed sure. off and instead she chose love essentially her choice to go fight and help is to be like i am like capable of so much love and i think that was very fucking cool that was that was like when when they did that that was like i was hooting and hollering for this movie at that point <laughs> but before that that thing with the mailbox come on oh yeah yep. I, that was Dumb. the only thing that like completely took me out of the movie i, I was literally that... thinking before it happened i was like this they're not going to do it because it'd be the stupidest thing ever if they just look at that and that said 10 cloverfield lane and then just fucking did that plus when you're when you're living in a rural area, your address is not going to be 10. <laughs> it's going to be at least four numbers. Like, yeah, that pissed yeah. me off so much. <laughs> you're like the first house, and there's only going to be 10 houses, like or like 90, whatever. So stupid. Yeah, that, that felt like a thing that they did after they made the movie. They're like, they yeah, said, they said that s- somebody suggested that, and they all laughed, but then they were like, 
wait, but actually that's like the best idea ever. (laughs) 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 Um, But also in regards to the Indian, they, they saw this movie as like a heroine's origin story. So this is supposed to be the origin story of someone who, you know, went off and was a hero fighting in, in the alien resistance wars or whatever, basically. So eleven uh, Cloverfield Lane, give it to us. <laughs> one one thing I really liked of it's it's stupid, but I like it about the the like because they were like if you have combat experience or or any or any combat experience or any medical training, please come help us. Tech and I was like, you don't really have those, but you should still go. She can stitch. But technically, she did just fight him, and she did do the like she he taught Howard taught her how to sew mm-hmm. him up. So I was like, oh, it's kind of cute that in the movie she got those two things. She can trip yeah. people into acid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that was I that was what I was thinking about too. I had this like, what have you done? And I'm like, oh wait. Every single thing in this movie was a setup for something else. And Seriously. I thought that was wonderful. Great filmmaking. It's so tight. Some of the stuff that I feel like pointing out in this movie, like I almost feel like the movie does such a good job. It's weird to point it out. It's like everyone's like, duh. But like, like, yeah, I mean, if we're talking about her arc, I think it's important that, you know, we reference the family structure that Howard was trying to have. But also she talks about like to Emmett how she felt bad that as a kid she didn't fight back her brother always did against their dad and then here we have the new dad who's abusive Mm -hmm. the new brother who stands up takes the blame and gets killed and right after that is when she looks at the ticket and then like I mean basically as soon as he dies it's yeah a couple hours maybe she fights back after Um, having a bowl of ice cream (laughs) you think she ate it I hope she did don't let ice cream go to waste. <laughs> oh, God. John ice cream's so, so good. Before we go too much further in that, I do want to say that one of the scariest things in the movie is when he emerges clean-shaven. Like, yes. That yeah, is, that is pretty creepy. incredibly jarring. It's and hor- oh. it, it does exactly what I think it's supposed to, which is yes. like... We're changing the dynamic now. This is going to be like something completely different that you are not ready for. Adult woman who is she's yeah a girl. She's a, a princess a girl. girl. Also one of the fucking scariest scenes in this movie <laughs> yeah. and the Santa Claus part too. Like in that same scene. Yeah, oh my that god, whole thing. Yeah, but her. Un- I mean, him unable to conceptualize her as a grown woman is mm-hmm. like was like horrifying yeah and and that other say i might even just put the santa claus i might even cut a sound sound clip of the santa claus scene <laughs> in here because i'm always watching always um God. I'd go wherever I want. I, I'm, I mean, uh, I don't know. I know what you're doing. I see what you're doing. Um. I know what you're up to. Look, Howard, I, I don't know what, what you're getting at. I but, see when you're uh, sleeping. You're at, I, I know, know what, what you're doing. And I'm always watching. I don't know always I'm watching. Doing. I'm always watching. Santa Claus. 
That shit scared the hell out of me. It was like, I was watching this at like nine o'clock in the morning and I'm like trembling as he's trying to describe Santa Claus. <laughs> Which John Goodman plays it so well that like, you know, it, it feels a little over the top. Like, why are you describing it this way? It's just for the movie to be scary. But it's like Howard isn't stupid and might literally be half using this against that you don't know you don't know if it's him being bad at the game or if it's him being like horrifying and that's the beauty of most of this we don't know almost anything that he thinks like we don't know if he really knows what's going on outside or is guessing or is lying like everything could be something else or also as time's going on he's just losing more and more grip of reality like the howard at the end that we've seen he would not have let Emmett come in and mm. be part but obviously at the beginning maybe he had still firm enough a grip on i guess reality and uh um society where he was like okay the good thing it the good thing to do would be to let Emmett come in even if i'm annoyed by him and it's gonna get in the way of my relationship with my new daughter but yeah. We don't really know the circumstances of how Emmett got in there because he was injured getting in. We don't know how he got injured getting in. We, for all we know, Howard is actually just afraid to open the door to force him out. We don't know. Yeah, but I mean, he doesn't have any qualms in killing him at the end. You sure don't? Nope. So I do think he has lost, you know, somewhat of a grip of. I don't think he's entirely the same person as he is starting out. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to know, though, if it's like a straight line or if he just, based on whatever yeah. mental stuff he has, it waves. Because let's talk about the fact that Michelle is in a room that I believe used to be, Meg, quote-unquote, Megan's room, half-painted and shit. But it only locks from the outside. Like, he had already <laughs> captured a person, like, yeah. all this shit before any of this started. Um, So, I... That's another one of those mysteries. I think that's a totally valid read, Charlie. I also think I don't huh. fucking know. I mean, yeah, and not to say that he was someone who was, yeah, he wasn't completely sane before, obviously. He killed this other sure. person who he tried to make be his daughter. Um, in regards to the room being uh, half-painted, yeah, they talked about in the commentary how it's basically he was, that was building to be Michelle's room, or not Michelle, what was his daughter's name? Megan. Megan's room. But then... I guess, like, while he was building it, she left or whatever with her mom. I don't know. That's how I yeah. took it, too. And, like, there's also, like, there were two lights. The one on the pink side was working. The one on the only cinder block side was, like, smashed. Like, there had been an altercation or something. Good catch. Yeah, I didn't catch that. I, I sort of thought one of the things that was interesting about Howard, to me at least, is he actually felt very consistent throughout. Even if, even as like, I mean, until the very, very end when he's, his face has been dipped in acid, but <laughs> up, up until that, the, the whole dynamic is going from showing control and then alleviating the stress that comes with that control. So like, you know, in the very beginning, she is chained up to the fucking wall and helpless and he comes in and gives her the tools to un unlock herself mm -hmm. you know gives her a crutch 
you know, and, and the key and, and all that shit. And, you know, that, that same dynamic is going on throughout the movie till the very end when he has just shown that he is not afraid to shoot someone in the fucking face and drop them in a vat of acid. And then he brings her some ice cream. Yeah. You know, like it's well, that, that yeah. same thing is just the whole, the whole course of this movie. Well, well, right after shooting him, like he's trying to calm or whatever. And he's like, I, I, I had to do it. He was, you heard him. He was making a weapon. You know, it, this, this, this wasn't how things were supposed to be. I'm, you know, I have to protect you. Like, just like right after yeah. that, he's just like justifying his, you know, I, I have to protect you. And he says something like, now it's, this is how it was always supposed to be. Yeah, that's, that's what so it is. This is how it's fucking mm-hmm. creepy. And yeah, I think that a person like that, you know, I think a part of him, of course, thinks it would be wrong to get rid of Emmett or to, to not let Emmett in. But I also think that he internally is fighting his desires which we know are fucked up he probably kidnapped a girl before and so internally his part of him is looking for excuses to fucking off emmett the whole time yeah Um, which i was very annoyed i know he was under stress and he had to think on his feet but emmett's answer for why he stole scissors being that that i wanted to take your gun (laughs) was just like stupidest answer I wanted to help her, you know, like we were making arts and crafts or whatever, just yeah. anything else. <laughs> we were cutting pictures out of a magazine um, to put on the wall, like like you saw him do in the montage earlier. <laughs> it probably wouldn't have helped because I think he made yeah. his mind up, like you're lying to me. But still, it was just like, why, Emmett? <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I was hoping to steal your gun is is never a good answer to give anybody in any circumstance, mm-hmm. really. And he knew at least it was kind of smart to play into like the "you're in charge, everybody respects you" angle. Like you saw both because he he was like, "Oh, I wanted her to respect me, like she respects you," you know. Which like I think that's what they were doing a lot was playing into his stuff, like you know. Um, you could tell Michelle's dealt with fucked up men a lot because one of the first things she says after she realizes what's going on is like, thank you so much. Like she's babying him. And that's kind of what Emmett's doing at the very end too. And like, yeah, that's just interesting, but what a bad call to say, I want to steal your weapon. Mm -hmm. I thought that, that whole scene where you really, it's, it's, I think the first time, you really get to see what Howard is on the inside is when she's doing that uh, undermining him by oh. asking Emmett for stuff and his mm-hmm. his hands. He's doing his hands as they're like oh, clenching yeah. and and trembling as like this little tiny in this in his little kingdom where he has every ounce of control yeah a tiny little bit goes away just for that moment and he loses his fucking mind yeah how um, dare she yeah i i mean it was kind of audacious i i i wouldn't have done that in that scenario but uh but well, yeah yeah i, I mean, mean she was she doing had, it so that she could get the keys get yeah. the keys yeah 
Totally. Yeah, I would have done something else. Not that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it worked. It, no shade, no shade, mm-hmm. but. And almost every thing they do against him is, again, using, like, I like that they're fine. His attributes that make him terrifying to them are his weaknesses. Like, I, I think from a strategic point of view, when we're looking at, you know, fighting oppressors, it's it's good to know to look for like the things that they well, like use the, their own shit against them. And I thought that was a really awesome theme throughout, like mm-hmm. using the fact that he uh, is so possessive over her, which is terrifying as a way to make him lose control and uh, using the fact that he's terrified of germs and stuff to get him to throw mm-hmm. out the shower curtain. Um, lots of stuff like that throughout that I thought was yeah. a really nice touch and really smart. And another part of this movie, just making everything have a setup. Yeah, she sure knows how to trigger him like a liberal. <laughs> Fucking snowflake John Goodman. Yeah. <laughs> I want to uh, talk about one reading of this movie, um, which I've mentioned a bunch of times, but looking at this uh, as if the second time I watched it, I decided to like watch it as if it's an allegory for like a dictatorship. And some kind of interesting stuff pops out from that. I mean, there's lots of stuff that he does that, you know, the... Uh, having no privacy for the subjects but the leader gets privacy right this is my private domicile you can't come in but they don't get to lock their own doors they don't get to pee without him being there uh it's very one-sided uh felt very accurate listening in on conversations but one thing that really jumped out to me was him controlling how they live like you need to eat, you need to sleep, and you need to start showing me a bit of appreciation. Uh, telling them when to go to the bathroom, telling them to watch their language, like, kind of, uh, like, what? Uh, she says, what are you going to do to me? And the first thing he says is, I'm going to keep you alive. And it made me think of this thing Foucault talks about in biopolitics, where, like, of how governments have kind of changed. I don't know if uh, y'all are familiar with this idea, but, like, biopolitics is, I mean, it's a big subject, but Foucault talks about, like, at some point, instead of just like the way kings worked and shit or kingdoms, we started, what's the way to put it, like trying to control populations. And one of the big things that he says is that in old, in like, you know, hundreds of years ago and before, the sovereign or the the ruler was had the right to like, uh, it was that they had the right to take your life or let you live. And that now, as things have gotten into the like era we're in now, or have been for the last few hundred years, they also have the right to make you live or to just let you die. Like, instead of, like, it's like they want to control how we live and that we live, and they've taken away a bunch of the things that allow us to just die. Like, there's, like, draconian laws about, like, what you can and uh, can't put in your body, like... They, uh, you're not allowed to be fucking homeless living on the street. Like, there's all these things that they do to make sure that we not only live, but live the way that we, they want us to because we're a resource for them. And I felt a lot of that in Howard. He is like, I'm letting you live. You should be happy. But also, I'm making you live. You're not allowed to go outside. You have to eat what I tell you. You have to act like I want. And it it just hit home really hard. The The other, the thing I did make note of while I was was reading this was i thought about how 
Howard is like, yes, he's lying. And yes, he's telling the truth. And there, there's not, there doesn't need to be like a consistent ideological like through line there. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, because he's an abuser and that's how like abusers work. But also it's kind of like the limited hangout of interpersonal relationships. Like it's the, you know, this is how like information moves from the state in general. Like, yes, they're lying. Yes, they're also telling the truth. And none of this would function at all if some of this wasn't the truth and some of this wasn't a lie. And it, like, tracks is very much like he is the state in here. Uh, the the thing that make, that like that really makes me think of is, like, him saying the air is toxic. And it's like, I don't know if he knows that it's just when they spray the stuff, the air is toxic, but he's not lying, but he's omitting information or twisting it in a way where you think if you open the door at all, you'll die. Maybe he's not twisting it. Maybe that's what he thinks. But because there's the truth in there and you can tell, it makes it so much harder and like to suss out. Not that I'm disagreeing with you, but I don't think he, he knows that's like when they spray. Because I don't think he knows it's aliens. He has this line towards the end when he's like melting where he says where is it that made me think oh i think he knows more than i thought he did for most of the movie um where is it oh i think i didn't add it in here but he says like you won't be able to run away from them or something like that that made me be like oh shit does he know more than i thought but i don't know for sure maybe he learned that the movie's name is cloverfield he was like oh fuck it's aliens (laughs) He had, like, a contraption with, like, a red number on it. Do you know what that was supposed to be? Can you give me context? I don't know. It was on, like, one of the counters, and they have, a clo- like, one close-up shot of it. The, like, radio, right? Where he's like, there's no one left to call. See that? And then he points to the radio. There's okay. nothing coming through. Which okay. felt like, when I saw that, I'm like, how do we know? How do we know he's telling the truth about this at all? Like, yeah, totally. You know, that was one of my, like... Is he lying? He's he telling the truth. Who knows? You know, like, I I feel like he'd be the type of person who would also have something that could like read the uh, radioactivity or something in the air outside of the bunker. Sure, <laughs> it does seem like yeah, he'd be one of those guys. I gotta say, what my my favorite payoff or the best use of them building all this up that like we don't know if he's lying or not but we're also using his stuff against him. Those two things come together when she's trying to break out and she remembers, she brings the spray, the freezing spray or whatever, because she remembers his story. And it's like, oh, like, you know, I love that. Like, oh, you gave me this information while just chat chit chatting. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use this to get out. And then she starts spraying and she hits it and it doesn't work. And you have this moment of like, oh my God, I believed the liar. My whole, <laughs> like that story might not have been true. My whole plan is based on thinking that this liar was telling the truth. It was such mm-hmm. a perfect moment. What was that spray? I don't remember. Compressed air is freezing when it comes out, but not that freezing. Yeah, I was thinking compressed air, but like compressed air isn't that cold. But uh, the director said he got that from... um watching like youtube videos of kids teenagers doing them like bike locks so then I'm like, oh well maybe it is compressed air if teenagers just get it one little angle that i noticed and forgot to mention when we were or when i was uh watching it kind of like through the lens of it as if it was a government there was kind of an interesting class thing going on with her and emmett where she's 
you know, looks like she's middle class or something based on like the apartment she's in, the size of that ring, the the fashion design goals. And then Emmett's talking about being working class, never having left the areas he's in. And it felt like a common trope or something of like, you know, she's the one kind of like he's buying into the dictator's lies, like the Trump's lies or whatever uh, about what's happening. And then she listens to the middle or upper class person that we should like revolt. And then he's the one that actually gets killed, uh, which feels like like the working class people end up like the, the fodder in revolutions. And I thought that was kind of an interesting parallel, probably not on purpose, but stood out, stood out to me. The other thing this movie made me think about and also works with the state reading pretty well is fundamentalist communities because the whole reason that she's in there she didn't turn the lock when she saw she got to the top of the stairs and there was a car outside is she had to make the decision between the dangers that she's heard about out there and the danger that she knows exists in the space she's in which is a frequent problem in lots of fundamentalist communities particularly for women Mm. but also works in a sort of like xenophobia reading of if you're if you're looking from a perspective of a state well also not just that, but like with in capitalism or in the state of like, yeah, we're not perfect, but we're the ones protecting you from all the horrible things outside, from all the terrorists that want to kill you, from all the whatever the outside threat is, or from you ending up homeless or you ending up, you know, a lot of depictions of homeless people that you don't want to end up like aren't, especially in media, aren't that different from that woman screaming and banging your head against the window. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it works on a lot of levels. I thought about Under the Banner of Heaven when I was watching this movie. I don't that rings a bell, but what is that? Uh, they it was it was a good book. Uh but it, it was also um I don't remember what HBO or Showtime or Netflix or something did like a limited series on it's a, it's about um Quibi. Uh a fundamentalist Mormon community. Oh, that's uh, right. That gets yeah. involved. That was a Quibi series. Is it Quibi? Mm-hmm. What's that mean? Wait, isn't it that one that was the the vertical? It was Wait, a one. I... <laughs> it was like a streaming where it was like it was like one minute videos or something in there. Vertical to TV shows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was not a Quibi series. You're lying. But. It was pretty good, but it reminded me of that. It made me think about like totally. Wait, what's it called again? Under the Banner of Heaven. And my mom's been watching some show about fundamentalists. I wonder if that's what she's been watching. I mean, that had all the shit I fucking love in it. It had had polygamist Mormons. It had sovereign citizen shit. It had uh, uh, Godspeed you back, Black Emperor. It, it was <laughs> great. Nice. Um, yeah, because every time, the last few times I talk to my mom, she always brings up all that stuff, except for Godspeed, you black emperor. <laughs> Get her into Godspeed, dude. Yeah, right. come on. She'd love it. I, I love she likes that show. She might, she might like Godspeed. Um, yeah, it's the, the fear you don't know versus the fear you're accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like a real, real decision that lots of people need to make all the fucking time. 
Including her at the start of the movie, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did want to bring up a couple things that felt a little... Maybe took me out of it, kind of like how HUD filming things he shouldn't took y'all out of the last movie a little bit. There were just a few things that I didn't totally get. Um, One of them is like, he has this all thought out, but why would he then build the doomsday bunker in a way where he couldn't fix the ventilation? That just didn't feel right to me. So there's, he is supposed to be able to fix the ventilation, but there's something in front of the the hatch, something blocking the door that he would go through, which is why she needs to climb through the vents. Right. Um, okay. They actually bring that up as something that people always complain about, but they, I guess they didn't do enough to show that, that that's what it was, that there's a door that is he's supposed to be able to go through that's blocked. Yeah, it was two problems at the same time. I see. Okay. Well, then, uh, oh. never mind. Perfect movie. Um, Perfect film. <laughs> one that brought me out of it is uh, he, when she goes to the bathroom, he tells her to flush, only she actually goes, I mean, come on, you're preserving water. It's, it's, uh, if it's yellow, let it mellow. Don't. Yeah. I mean, come totally. on. You're not some survivalist guy and you're flushing every time you take a piss. <laughs> I, totally. I had the same thought, Charles. We're we're on the same page here. Yeah. It's like I I don't and I don't even pay for my water bill. Oh, you should flush. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I've uh, I've been in a I've lived in if it's yellow let it mellow houses for over yeah. a decade now. Yeah. Oh. Fuck, I thought I had more, but I guess it is a perfect movie. Wow, crazy. Wow, <laughs> yeah, I told you. Uh, do y'all want to talk about the ending and these fucking aliens? Which, by the way, John Goodman refers to them as Martians in the behind the scenes. He's like, when the Martians come. <laughs> and he goes, that's what I call them. It was great. Yeah, I thought they were cool. I, You know, like, they, they look totally unreal. Wait, like but before the, we go too far into it, Barto, you this was your first time. What did you think was going on outside? Like did I you no, have I, a I had no fucking guess? clue what was going on. <laughs> like when I I had no idea that aliens were coming. That was really? that completely fucking blindsided me. Yeah, how would See, I know? Because this is the problem one of the big problems of the movie is that its title completely undermines the movie. By calling it Cloverfield, of course there's some kind of monsters or aliens out there. I oh. I agree, but I also think when I watched it the first time, I I they did it was long enough without that that I was like, are they fucking with me? Like, was the title supposed to make me? Th was it a bait and switch? I was still <laughs> a little bit on board. I I went through this. My memory of people talking about this film was that it felt like it had nothing to do with Cloverfield. And so that that's all helps. I went in. That's okay. all I went in knowing. And so when Alien showed up, I'm like, oh, okay, I get how this has to do with Cloverfield now. But it like still, it I was completely blindsided by them. I kind of agree with what I think your feelings are, Charlie, that it felt a little ham-fisted at the end like the action yeah. scenes like just sure. so came out of nowhere from like 
what is basically has been like this hour and change of like meditation on like abuse dynamics. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, and then this thing shows up that is like completely out of fucking nowhere. But when she threw that Molotov cocktail (laughs) into the, that thing's mouth, I was like, woo, baby, you know? (laughs) And I think the idea of um, this crazy guy, this horrible, crazy person is actually right about the outside. Like, I think that's cool, and, and I'm not even against it being aliens, but I don't know. It just, the way it was handled just felt very jarring, the way it goes from this kind of slow burn all of a sudden to this, like, sci-fi yeah. action movie. Like, I don't know. It just, it felt too tonally jarring. I didn't think it was done well enough. Um, I don't know. It, it just, the ending did not work for me. I, I agree that it's jarring, but I love it. Like, I love that. I'm really glad that they made it, like, 12 minutes. Like, if it yes. was, like, a third of the movie, I would be very bummed on this movie. Or I'll think of it a lot lower, but I liked that it was, like, it kind of felt like I was in her shoes. Because, like, this movie, one of the things it does that's awesome is you never see anything that she's not seeing so i'm with her in this psychological what's happening and you come outside it's like are you fucking kidding me and then she like wants she's like oh maybe i should go back and it's exploding and like (laughs) i don't know it it worked on me it felt like i just came out of a fucking bunker and was like oh fuck um but i get you that i like i could i see where you're coming from too charlie I, i mean in a sense that was the most realistic thing that could happen is you get out of the bunker and it's completely fucking jarring out there. I mean, and and it is, you know, again, if we go to the, like the reading of like the fundamentalist community that you're exiting and you're, you're going from maybe you've been living on a fucking farm in the middle of nowhere for your entire life and you escape and you enter the big city you know, is not too different than like <laughs> a- aliens have fucking landed, you know, like, but I'm not even uh, talking about the jarringness necessarily it being aliens, but yeah, it's not the concept. The, the, it was the, the execution tone of the action itself, I guess. Is no, sure. I hear you. But the other thing that I think is, it's good that she got to act like an action hero because it was this like, yes, the danger outside is bad because again yes he's lying but yes he's also telling the truth like the danger and, outside is bad but you she can fucking do it like and she, she dealt can... with it much easier and much quicker than she was able to deal with <laughs> the main kaiju of the story John. <laughs> totally charlie i i do think i hear you in that like maybe i could have done without her like being perfectly pulled up straight towards its mouth and stuff. Like if she had just seen those creatures and hidden from the dog thing and figured out a way to kill the dog thing, that might have mm-hmm. felt a little better while accomplishing the same thing. But it did go into like, I'm on a Disneyland ride now. I'm yeah, like, you know, and so I, I, I hear you there. Exactly. Um, yeah. Except that she got to be in a car crash again and sort of, uh, <laughs> And sort of like start back where she wow. began. <laughs> That's cool. I like that. I I gotta say too, I really liked oh let 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 me start with the, the aliens. Like uh 
the CG on them definitely stuck out. Like, I don't think it was really bad, mm-hmm. but it definitely, like, took me out of it a little because it didn't feel like it fit with the rest of the movie. But if I'm looking at just the designs and stuff, I thought the, like, the, I just keep calling it the dog thing, the smaller one looked really cool. And I loved that, like, it was so alien. Like, I couldn't tell if that thing on the front was, like, a mouth or a nose or an eye or what. And it had, like, or an really anus. cool. That also kind of looks like an, an anus. anus. Yeah. Uh, and it had really cool textures. I really, I really liked that thing. Did you? What did you all think of that thing? Yeah, I I thought I thought it was was, was pretty neat. Um, ignoring the CGI aspect of it, I thought the design of it was pretty pretty cool. It's it's like mouth was it sticking to its her window? I forget exactly. It had something mm-hmm. to do with the the car window or its head sticking through the window oh, yeah. or something like that, and it like prolapses onto uh in into towards her and very creepy oh, that's when she was in the little shed and it was going through the lift thing yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah totally very creepy the same scene the explosions of the bunker i think those were both those were practical effects i think those are pretty cool looking when the two parts huh. of the bunker up above ground like explode out those are actual explosions that did. i thought those looked good Just really like wow i'm surprised okay. by that um I'm pretty sure because like a lot of that stuff was CGI, like when she's in there, the door being lifted and that whole wall is CGI. You know that farmhouse where the light comes behind it? That's all yeah. CGI, um, which I did not think until I saw them rendering it. I think the first shot of the movie was CGI or oh, wild. or somehow, some way digitally done. Okay. So moving on to the other aliens, I those ones were harder for me, like... I, I I like that they went so out there that it's like, is it an alien? Is it a ship? Is it an alien in a suit? Like, I, I liked the, it. it the was director so... specifically talks about how he likes the question of, you know, is it being some kind of biomechanical thing where you don't know exactly if it's an alien or a ship or some combination or something like that. Yeah, it was a cool concept and it looks really cool, but I don't know. It it definitely didn't doesn't stick with me. Like, Somebody the other day was like, oh, yeah, it's a giant monster movie. I was like, there's no giant monsters. There's, like, a ship. And then I watched it, and I was like, what am I talking about? It's totally a monster. But I don't know. I guess I kind of like it. I can't decide. It's just weird. What did you all think of it? Yeah, I'm kind of along the same lines of you. Um, I definitely appreciate that they took a big swing with it, um, yeah. whether or not it fully gels with me. It basically, like, left my brain as soon as yeah. we, like, I know it was there, mm-hmm. and I remember what it did, and... But and I think that part of that comes with them being very successful at making it very alien. Yes, and because the the dog sort of operated the same way, where it just sort of like like I don't have a ton of it has four legs, and I know that part, but like the specifics of it are like really just disappeared right away because it doesn't look like anything. I I know. Yeah. Um, so good job. And this might just be a personal problem. You know, might not be their fault. It leaving your head though is exactly how I felt after the first time, for sure. I, I did think that shot that I mentioned before of like the green light coming behind the house and then there's like the cornfields was like such awesome classic UFO imagery. Mm-hmm. I love that they went there with it. It like, that was such like a weird, felt like a throwback to something. Like it was just so like, typical classic alien movie that yeah it was just interesting next to all these very different kind of because this has been a very different movie one thing i love about this movie is it's it's like 
it's like a movie taking place in a universe with aliens, but it's not actually about the aliens. They're like kind of just a set piece, and that's kind of cool. Yep. And then they did the uh, North by Northwest shot where she's running towards the camera and it's chasing behind her in the air. Hell yeah. Stuff. Good catch. By the way, y'all, car alarms are the worst. Who fucking needs them? Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, they suck. They yeah. suck. Yeah. Ooh. They're the cops of the sound world. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, I'm kind of good on talking about the movie. I was going to ask uh, if y'all have anything else, and then we can talk about like how this fits into Cloverfield. That's about what I got. I um... Yeah, I mean, my last note on this was the pedophile murderer was right about the aliens, which, you know, it's such a strange dissonance mm-hmm, when sure. you're like, ah, oh, that fucking freak was right. <laughs> oh, so and the I worst think person you know made a good point. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I we think... need to be so mean to John Goodman. I think he's a pedophile murderer. I think he's one of the finest actors of his generation. That's true. I don't think John Goodman is a pedophile murderer. To be perfectly clear, perfectly precise, in case he's listening and has, you know, I'm sure he is a lawyer. John Goodman, I stand by you if you're listening (laughs) against these horrible accusations. That is weird, but I I like... It the way the movie's set up, it doesn't feel like they're saying anything with that. It, he could have, mm-hmm. he could have been right. He could have been wrong. He still sucked, and you still needed to kill him. You know. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Oh yeah. No, they definitely weren't saying like maybe you should have listened to him more. They weren't doing that. There was none of that. Oh, totally. So uh, let's talk about the fact that this is a quote unquote Cloverfield movie. Um, what do y'all think about that? Like I said, I think it would have been. More effective overall, it wasn't called Cloverfield. Um, sure, but yeah, I was. That's one thing I was hoping they'd go into in the commentary, but they didn't mention it at all. I don't really know the backstory of it. Basically, J.J. Abrams saw this was in production and was like, "Hey, why don't we just make this Cloverfield?" Is that what it was? I think it was a script that he that he saw and decided to throw it into there on one of the. Uh, behind the scenes things he mentioned liking the idea of um a series that was connected by like themes and ideas and stuff not necessarily by it being the same story like it felt like kind of like a twilight zone thing he was trying to do almost but you know my cynical part of me is like oh you just knew it would make more money if you put the name cloverfield on it but i kind of think it would be more well known if it didn't, because it would stand on its own and it wouldn't have to explain weird stuff and be like, oh, there's this really good movie with John Goodman that's really trippy. Uh, you should check it out. But I don't I don't know. No, I don't know how far along it was in production, but not only would it make more money, but they'd also probably get more funding. It was called Cloverfield. I mean, um, I know it was at the script level. I'm I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Or that, that's what it seemed like to me from behind the scenes stuff. I don't know what the Cloverfield paradox is going to be about. I have no idea. But where it stands right now, I'm sort of thinking about Cloverfield as... So there's um 
I think it was John Keel, who's the guy who wrote the Mothman prophecies. Um, he had this idea that um, a bunch of other uh, like UFO guys who were sort of his contemporaries kind of got behind. They called it different things, but he called it the ultra terrestrial hypothesis. And his basic premise was that like, you know, a lot of times you see a Bigfoot, there's a UFO there too, you know, or like near there. And his, his basic premise was that like aliens aren't from outer space. They're something else from somewhere else. And there's just these sort of little rifts where the somewhere else makes contact with us. And that's sort of what the theme I'm getting from Cloverfield is mm-hmm. that it's this like it's this world where like the other side is touching us because I I know that if you like do you know the um the little games promotional games and shit that they set up for the first Cloverfield movie like they tell you where the monster comes from but it's not mm. in the text of the movie they had games for this one too oh yeah I only know yeah. it was in the commentary they they talk about those missing puzzle pieces and they're like if you played the game you know where where what happened to those puzzle pieces oh yeah and I'm and I'm listening to the commentary I'm like this is a fucking commentary check just tell me just fucking yeah, tell me totally <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. But in the text of both of these movies, there's no explanation at all for why this stuff is happening. It just yeah. is. It is just like a crossing over from and and both of them. They're both these movies where it's like very I mean you know, having to be locked in a bunker obviously is in a very normal situation, but the but the dynamics that exist in that bunker are ultimately very mundane and and normal. Um not for me, but for lots of people. And the same thing in, in Cloverfield. They're like it's a very mundane situation that is just interrupted by something from somewhere else you know yeah and that's that's what cloverfield it so far is to mm-hmm. me it's like it's what it's the act of the other side kind of like reaching over and showing itself that's cool that makes sense to me i i yeah. think when i finished this movie the first time i i went right to paradox because i was like how are these movies connected? And I'm, I was doing it in a like Marvel universe connected way or, you know, Godzilla connected way where I was like, what led to what to what, but I'm trying to like get out of that and look at these as like, what does connect them? Like, like you're saying the, the, the idea that it's like this thing showing up and how does it affect us? That's really cool. I, I also think that there's some cool stuff about like both of these movies are a limited perspective. One of them's found footage, and one of them is you're only seeing one woman's perspective the entire time. And that's kind of a through line that both these movies have that I think separates them from other movies, or a lot of other movies, especially monster movies. So I, I do think that's really cool. Um, but yes, you can never see anything in either of these movies that the one person doesn't see. Um, so yeah, I, li- I liked that too. 
The Clover but, Field of Vision. <laughs> uh, do, are we are we ever given like a date in this movie? Good question. I don't know. The, uh, I bet not on purpose. I I <laughs> bet it's in. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree. I bet there's something like if you look at her iPhone. Yeah, something like in the shots of her phone. I know we're giving. We see the time, but I'm trying to think we ever shown the date. He has a calendar up too, doesn't he? Yeah. I think I, in the main room or something. I bet but... there's fucking little Easter eggs in there tying it to the first movie. Because in my head. Let us know. <laughs> yeah, in my head, it was basically just, you know, this, there's an overall alien invasion, and this is just a different type of alien that's tagging mm. a different part of the country, but I. No idea what the thought process behind it is supposed to be. Uh, I don't think I ever kind of try to look it up and read up on anything. So I don't know. Like I said, I do think I'm not even a, I'm not against. Like I, I do think your cynical point of view of it's more just uh, trying to make a franchise and make more money yeah. and uh, get more of a budget. But um, I'm not even necessarily against that. I think that could be cool to be like oh here's other alien stuff i just do think it undermines the kind of premise of the movie where it's just like oh there's a mystery what's going on well i know it's gonna be aliens in some way sure i know you know i know john goodman is in some way correct sure i mean i I wouldn't go as far as to know it would be aliens because the first movie i don't know is an alien but i know what you mean that it's probably gonna be some weird sci-fi shit yeah totally I know it's stupid and would be so dumb because this movie is great for how small it is, but I do want to see 11 Cloverfield Lane. I just want to see more of what's going on. I want to see her join the front lines, and I know I shouldn't want it, and I'd be bummed if I got it, but I want it. Uh, I I will watch fucking 15 of these movies. Like, just keep giving me Cloverfield movies. I'm I'm very much enjoying it. See how you feel after Paradox. No, that's true. It might fucking suck ass. <laughs> I've not seen Paradox. I just know it's supposed to be bad. Well, I guess y'all have to wait and see. Uh, you want to give out some awards? Yeah. Yeah. Should we all say our dumb cop on three? <laughs> three, One. two. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah, we're going up. You said on three. No, you were right, Charles. I'm sorry. One, two, three. Howard. <laughs> Who'd you guys what say? What did you say, Charlie? I said Michelle. <laughs> you son of a dick. I'll tell you, you an explanation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was having a hard time trying to figure out what cop, the cop was. Uh, but in the other movie, she's getting a chance between shelter and fighting the aliens. She goes to go fight the aliens to restore an antiquated America that was founded that is at its core, a racist and imperialist country, and she wants to go fight and save that country. <laughs> yes. Cheers. All Cheers right. for Charles here. Yeah. There we go. Boom. Taking the road less traveled. Admirable. Uh, who's got a practice award? This movie is so tough. Wait, who are your two cops? Howard. Howard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess he's got. Kind of... <laughs> If you stretch your mind, you might figure it out. Uh, 
I didn't, this was such a hard one for awards. I put Emmett for the practice award, but it could have been Michelle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I put Emmett for uh, taking the, the fall that got him the bullet. Yeah. Totally. But being brave doesn't mean you go looking for trouble. Ah! As a as a wise man once said, and saying, "I wanted to steal your gun to impress this girl," is looking for trouble. The yeah, the only thing I can give him there is that like maybe he thought if he said something any less crazy, Howard wouldn't believe it, and she could get roped in too. And he was really just like trying to. But it, I hate it. I just am like, say something different. I forgot. That was my first practice award, but that's not the one I wrote down. I wrote down Howard for saving both Michelle and Emmett when he did not need to. <laughs> okay, favorite shots. Uh, for me, it's it's one of those establishing shots of the room that she's in when we when she's first in there because it is fucking horrifying, and it is just a perfect way to start the cycle that this movie is constantly going through of of um of fear comfort ad, ad nauseum and great totally. great way to establish it yeah uh, a few shots thrown together but when she's going through the uh the vents at the end and the fires behind her, so there's like that orange light kind of shining through, and then all of a sudden John Goodman's knife stabs through the the vents, and then his arm, his melted arm, comes through and grabs her. Those are some cool shots. Nice. I really could not pick because most of this movie looks very similar, and it's all so good. So I'm just gonna say any shot with John Goodman in it. It was just I just love the whole movie. It's hard for me to pick. Yeah. Great to look at. I'm glad we all agreed. Missouri just makes better people. (laughs) And he gets to dance. Like, I love that Mm. shit. Um, That that line is so funny. The problem solving always puts me in a musical mood is so funny. The other, other really crazy line in this movie is when he brings her ice cream after he's just killed Emmett and said, Oh yeah. The mess is all taken care of, so just hang loose. It's yeah. like so wild. It's Another yeah, crazy it's like all of a sudden he's trying to be the cool dad where he's like, we can have ice cream before dinner and yeah, just hang loose. <laughs> and he says, we can do anything, we, we can do yeah. whatever we want now, which is like, oh, fuck, what does that mean? Like the more oh, yeah. you think about it, the less sense it makes. Yeah. What couldn't we do with Emmett here? Yeah, uh, totally. Uh Oh, man. Terrifying. I wrote down so many Emmett lines. I have like a page of Emmett lines because there's so <laughs> many. But just go watch the movie. You don't have to hear us say them. There's so many good lines. I'm going to cut in every Emmett line here. Just sweet. Yeah. Hell yeah. Don't worry about it. Um. All right. What do y'all want to rate this? I mean, they give it uh Yeah, I feel like I was not in the best of moods to watch this. Not in the best right of mine when I watched it this week and that negatively affect my viewing of it I'm going to give it two and a half leaf clover and I'm going to hand it a six pack but then before I let go I'm going to say not and I'm going to pull it back um, and I'm going to hand that to Cloverfield uh, the first movie 
and then I'm going to say, but you get the Goodman Award, which is an award that our podcast gives any movie that has John Goodman. Totally. <laughs> and that's Hell my yeah. rating. <laughs> Final <laughs> rating. Can't change it. How about you, Barto? Yeah, I'm going to give this one sick-ass glow over a cornfield. Like, it's classic, cool. It feels like if a, a Hitchcock movie and a Steven Spielberg movie had a baby with one another. And, like, that's great. That's great. Fuck yeah. Yeah, I... This, this movie is so simple. It's, like, hard to talk about. But it's just so good. Like, I I just feel like almost everything is so good. And we haven't even talked about a ton of it. Like, the music is really fucking good. The editing. Yeah. The, the sets, sound design is so the, good. Yeah, like, when he, uh, when, uh, he's looking for his keys or he's, like, gotta stay hydrated and his voice is, like, so quiet because there's this, like, getting louder because, like, she's tripping out and we're, like, feeling her tension. Like... There's so many fucking good little touches that I I just love this movie. I don't know. I'm gonna I f- give it a giant monster because uh, it rules. I feel like they said that the is also the sound designer's first movie. What the um, fuck? Maybe I remember wrong, but I'm pretty sure they said that in the commentary. That's wild. The composer, uh, he was a trip uh his behind the scenes stuff was a little frustrating because he was kind of full of himself like he was like we needed a lot of sound so you know i i could have gotten an orchestra for that i got four <laughs> it's just like okay dude <laughs> but yeah there were four orchestras for this like one of them had 90 people in it like it was really intense mm. music and he brought out all these instruments he'd never used before and uh it's just great and it's really subtle and great like anyway yeah. this movie has so much great in it is all i'm trying to say Sweet. All right, folks. Well, we hope you will join us next time for the Cloverfield Paradox, our conclusion of the Cloverfield series. Uh, Thanks for listening. You can rate us on anywhere where you listen to podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts. That would be great. Write a review if you can. You can find us on Twitter and TikTok at NoGodsPod, and you can email us, NoGodsPod at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show, remember that a more reliable Maltov cocktail is three-fourths gasoline to one-fourth oil and uses a rag rather than paper.